Good morning. Don't do that. I don't want to disappoint you, but thank you. Uh, hey, good morning. I'm Sean Angel. Uh, it's my pleasure to be up here today. Um, this is obviously nerve-wracking, so just give me a minute to calm down and relax. Uh, <clears throat> so... If, if uh, nobody has been to field day, which I went last week, if nobody has been, it was actually my first time going, and it was exceptional. Uh, I was very surprised that at, uh, just everybody showing up and just having a really good time. So if next year, if you get some time, definitely go to field day. Uh, Christian, I don't know if he's in, I don't think I see him in here, but uh, he started yelling, and then I started yelling, uh, and I got a little too excited. Uh, but it was such a good time, and uh, <clears throat> so I, uh, I recommend that everybody uh, go next year. So uh, I think, so I, I watched the sermon last week because I wasn't here, and I thought, um, I thought Luke did a great job. Uh, it spoke to my heart, uh, and, I, and, and instead of me being up here, you probably could have just, you should have just uh, watched that again because it was uh, up until the election because it's such a good sermon. It gives us a, a good um, a foundation of what it means to vote, to be uh, obedient in, uh, in civility and things. And so it really spoke to my heart. Um, uh, uh, understanding that, you know, like, like he said, donkeys and elephants, they aren't salvific. Uh, they don't, uh, a leader is not going to um, <clears throat> uh, save you. And I, and I thought that he did a, a fantastic job in, in, um, in, in showing us what that meant. Uh, so, as I start, I'm going to uh, start from Ecclesiastes 9. This is kind of a, it's, you know, this whole book is weird. Uh, it's, it's, it's hard to understand at times, and uh, it is for me especially, uh, but I'm going to take a stab at it. Um, as we know, uh, death is a very sensitive subject. Uh, it's one that we, we really don't want to talk about. Um, but the fact that we are living assures one thing, that we will die. <clears throat> death is it's kind of like that, that family member at Thanksgiving that you really don't want to talk to, right? Uh, you know they're there, but like they get on your nerves so much you don't even want to talk to them. So you just try to avoid them. The whole time. I think it's hard for us because, like, we, if we do think about it, we wonder, like, when are we going to die? How will we die? You know? And, and some, some deaths are, are more pleasant than others, right? So if you're like the 90-year-old woman who goes and, and, and passes away, right, uh, in her bed, you know, that's kind of a beautiful death, right? She's just... She just passes away, and, and everything seems fine. But then you have, you know, things like, you know, struggles with pregnancy and, and, and just, just things that happen that you're, you always question, why is this happening? You know, why, why, would, why would this happen like this? I mean, a, a, lot, of, a lot of hard, hard deaths to really kind of wrap your mind around. Uh, one in particular for me was um, that I have been looking at recently was a was one in Colorado. Um, I think it was last year, and it was a guy named Chris Watts. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, I won't describe it. But if you look up the name Chris Watts, you'll see kind of what happened in Colorado. It was really really tough, especially if you have children. Um, and, and, and that's what I'm trying to get at. There's so, there's this big, you know, this, this gap of, of really horrendous and really peaceful. So, so what I did was I kind of looked at uh, the top ten ways people die in the United States. Now, this, this came from 2007, but this is kind of, you know, this is what people die from. Number one, heart disease. Two, cancer. Three, an accident. Uh, four, chronic lower respiratory disease. Five, stroke. 
Um, six, Alzheimer's. Seven, diabetes. Eight, flu. Nine, nephritis. Now, I never really heard of that one, so I kind of looked it up, but it's kind of like a kidney dysfunction. All you medical people who know what that is right there. Uh, I don't know what that is, but, but I did read it, and I was like, okay, let me kind of see what that looks like. And then the tenth one, intentional self-harm. Now, we can all agree that in 2020, we can put COVID up there, right? Somewhere in between. I don't know where. I, don't, I haven't looked at the statistics, but, uh, I mean, they put them on the news every day. But, but I haven't looked at them, and I don't know where they is in conjunction to everything else. And when we look at, when we look at death, right, it happens to everybody. It's not, it's not just, uh, it doesn't matter how cool you are. It doesn't matter how poor you are. It doesn't matter how rich you are. It, it doesn't matter about anything because it has no favorites. I think the reason we don't want to die because we, well, we don't know what to expect, right? It, it, it's, it's, it's scary to us. Um, and, and, and we'll do anything, I guess, to prolong this thing, right? We'll do anything to prolong it. So I went again and looked at ways that man has tried to cheat death, which is it's kind of weird, right? These are kind of some weird ones. Um, in 1600 B.C., an anti-wrinkle anti recipe for transforming an old man into a youth is recorded on the back of an ancient papyrus. That's a long time ago, guys. This ain't like yesterday. And so uh, it calls for water mixed with something called hamayet fruit, then boiled and dried. Then in the 4th century, the alchemist Ji Hong describes a medicine made, now this is kind of nasty, from the brains of a particular monkey that's mixed with herbs would lengthen life up to 500 years. <laughs> For real, dude? So I, I'm not making this up. 13th century, in the cure for an old age, the monk and philosopher Roger Bacon recommends drinking wine and powders made of gold, made of gold, pearl, coral, and bone from a stag's heart. He also advised eating vipers. Okay, yeah, that'll work. Then recently, an Arizona-based company called Alcor offers to freeze you up with the intention of reviving you for future use. Come on, man. For real? Now, <clears throat> I mean, somebody may believe that, but I'm not, right? I mean, it just seems too far-fetched. I mean, when, we, when it's our time, it's time to go. So I, I think as we continue to look at Ecclesiastes, and it's kind of the same theme throughout, I think. I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of very repetitive. Um, and I think that's for a reason, right? He wants to get a, a point across. Uh, we don't like hearing the same thing over and over and over. However, if, we, if we're hearing the same thing over and over and nothing's changing, then maybe we need to keep saying it. Maybe there's something wrong with us. Maybe we, want, we don't want to understand what that person's saying. So he asks this question, what is success? What is purpose? Right? I mean, I know there's people here right now asking that same question. I know it. Is this what life is all supposed to be? Is this it? Is this it? Right? I, if you're not asking that question, something's wrong and you're not in this room. I remember, I always bring up this story because it just means, you know, it's, it's my story, right? And, you know, in 2008, boy, that was a really, that was a really weird time for me. Um, and I was asking myself those same questions. Now, I had some addictions, right? I had some things that I was going through and working through. And they may not be you, right? You may not have the addictions that I've had. You may just struggle with, you know, just asking that question, um, of, of what, am I, what is my person. You may be a good citizen is what I'm getting at. I, mean, I wasn't a good citizen. There's nothing good about me, right? I was loyal, but other than that, I was just, um, it was a free-for-all. Life didn't matter. God didn't matter. No, nothing mattered, right? So I don't know. You're probably not there, uh, but that's just kind of my story. So 
even even with that, all those addictions and things, I was still like doing things, right? I was I w- wouldn't be called successful, but I mean, in a sense, it was my view of success. You know, I had a couple jobs. You know, I had a car. I had a place to live. Uh, to me, that was success. Now, I wasn't a lawyer or anything like that. You know, I'm not that smart, but or a doctor, right? Uh, but but. You know, I, I was successful. People was like, oh, man, you're doing good. You're doing great, you know. Um, it's good to see you, blah, blah, blah. But, but in 2008, I found myself asking that question, what is my purpose? You know, what, well, this, this can't be life, right? This can't be life. And I feel like we all ask ourselves that question if at, least, at, least not, at least once, right, or, or if not multiple times throughout our life. Uh, we're always kind of questioning that, I guess, th- throughout, whether it's when we have kids, you know, you're saying, like, what am I supposed to do as a parent? Or, or what is my purpose as a parent? And, and, and so on and so forth. So forth. Even, well, even if you don't have kids, I think as we progress in life, we always ask this question, right, if not multiple times. I mean, just, just think about it, right? Not, not look at me, but just really think about um, um, where you are right now. And where you have been, and, and, and really let that, let that savor a little bit, right? Now, I'm broke as a joke in 2008 at this, at this point now. At this point, I've, I've exhausted all my options. I'm broke as a joke. Um, I have nowhere to go uh, other than my mom's, right? And so then, then you have this dude, let's, let's say, for instance, Bill Gates, right? He's, he's got the money, right? Or, uh, Jeff Bezos, whatever you want to say. The, the, the top epsilon of the, of the money-making world. He's got it going on. They can do whatever they want to do. Um, uh, we would want to be them, right? We would want to attain to that. That's what we call success here. Uh, but there's one thing for certain. He's going to die just like I am. It ain't going to matter. He can have whatever he wants in this world today, but he will die. Now, I have this weird thing with looking at people's net worth. And I've always asked myself that question. Why do I do that? Do any of y'all do that? Like, it's, you know, it's one of those things. Like, man, uh, I'll be looking up like an actor, right? I look up at him or her, and then I'll go uh, on Google, of course, you know, the Google. Net worth. Why do I do that? You ever thought about that? I mean, if we're all going to be dead and broke anyway, why am I sitting there looking at their net worth? That just don't make any sense. But I do it. So I ask myself that question. Why do I do that? Because essentially their net worth is zero. <laughs> when they're dead, they're not getting anything anyway, right? I don't think we can take anything with us unless you want to put it in the casket. But even then, you can't touch it. <laughs> you can't grab it, right? Now, before I go into the first verse of Ecclesiastes, and I'm kind of um, um, ranting on about death, and I'm sorry about that, but that's, that's what the subject's about. I'm not too excited about it myself. But before we go into the first verse, let's look at, we have to look at, I guess, what chapter 8 is saying, right? Because it, it says, but, uh, in the first verse of 9. And so, I'm going to paraphrase a little bit, but he's basically saying that good things happen to bad people and bad things happen to bad people, right? And, and we all know that. I mean, it, it's kind of lame, actually. Right? We, we see it every day. We, we see an injustice or we see something like, why is that happening to that person? They haven't done anything. And then you have this person who does everything wrong and they get blessed for it, blessed for it, right? Now, if you're not questioning that, there's, there, there's something wrong, right? Because, I mean, when we see that, we're like, what? Like, why would that happen? And so that's kind of, that's what he's saying in chapter 8. And then he's also saying that no matter what you do, no matter how hard you work, you can never understand God. 
and why he does what he does and when he does. You can never understand that. And that's not very reassuring, is it? However, that is a truth, right? Unless he reveals it to you, you're not going to understand. To second that, to, to, to really understand that, I want to, uh, uh, if we can go to Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. Now, before we go there, I am in Ecclesiastes 9 through the whole chapter. So if everybody wants to go to that, I probably should have said that earlier, but I forgot. Um, but in Isaiah 55, 9, just to reassure you that we don't understand how he understands, it says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, and my ways are not your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Right? So we can't understand this. He's, he's clear in that. <clears throat> now, let me read Ecclesiastes 1. But all this, in, 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 not, in, in good things happen to bad people and bad things happen to good people. And in man cannot know God's ways, he says this. But all this I laid to heart, examining it all. How the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. Whether it is love or hate, man does not know, both are before him. There's judgment right there. He gives you judgment. And, and not only is there judgment, God knows all. He sees all. So whether you're righteous in good standing with God or you're wicked, he sees it all and you will be judged. You, you cannot hide. It's like, it's, like, um, it's like when you're playing hide-and-go-seek, right? And, and, and somebody tries to hide behind the bed, and then, like, their foot's out, you know? Oh, I see you. You know, it's kind of that thing. Don't try to hide. It's exposed. He sees it all, right? And so, oh, sorry about that. In spite of, you know, in, in, when he sees it all, uh, I, I really want to talk about how, let's say we're struggling, right? We're righteous, meaning we're in good standing with God. We're Christian and we're struggling. Do we have assurance that he's there? Now, he says he sees all, right? He knows all. He sees all. Don't try to hide. It's okay. I see the righteous and the wicked. I see why this is happening to good and bad people. We have to be assured that he is there, right? And, and I think there's several verses throughout Scripture that say that. One in particular uh, is the Psalm of David. And it's Psalm 34, 18. It reads, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Now, that's very comforting for me, as it should be for you. I mean, what does this look like for you, right? Like, like, like are you broken? Are you crushed in spirit? Because, because I can't assure you he will deliver. I can't assure you. I've seen it in my life. I've seen it in the life of the people that I've been around. He will deliver you. But, but, but it's something about, like, knowing that and, and believing that, right? Like, we can hear it. And, 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 it, and it, like, is this true? Well, he assures us it is. I, I mean, look at Job, right? Just read the story of Job. I mean, God blesses people, right, based on what they do. But then Job was different because, and this, me and my friend talked about this, he, he, he was allowed to get everything stripped from him by God. God said, you know what, take it away. Satan, you got this. Let him take it away. Do you not think that Job was there, right, crushed in spirit? But he believed that truth that God would deliver him. 
that he would be there for him. And he did. He trusted that. I think we really can uh, tend to forget this psalm, right? I mean, when we're going through suffering, when we're struggling through something, when something just doesn't seem right, we go through this. And this is hard. Right? We don't, we don't know what to do. Um, because I think we've been told a lie. I think we've been told a lie. I think as a, as a Christian, when you become a Christian, right, and, 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 and somebody has led you to Christ through what Christ has done in you, we tend to believe a lie that we aren't to suffer. Um, we're tended to, to, to think that everything's going to be okay or that, that we won't wrestle with God, right? That, that we, won't, uh, uh, we won't go through strife. We won't go through uh, mayhem. We won't go through uh, things that would happen to us that we have no control of and that uh, everything's just going to be fine. Well, I can assure you we can expect suffering and we can expect uh, doubt, both of those. Right. You know, there's this, there's this thing uh, in, in, in Psalm alludes, um, sorry, Psalm. Solomon alludes to it in chapter 7, and he said it's better to be in a house of mourning than a house of praise. And, and, and <laughs> we, we, we think about that, and we don't understand the, like, the magnitude of that, but that's true, right? I was having a conversation with, with Maddie, my, my daughter. And, and she was sitting at the table. And, but before that, I said, they were arguing, right, you know, like kids do, arguing, fighting with each other. And then, um, then they started playing cards. And everybody was laughing and having a good time, which is very rare at our home. And so <laughs> they were laughing, having a good time. And I looked at all of them and I said, this is what life's all about. Right, laughing and, and having a good time. But it's funny because I asked Maddie, I said, let me ask you a question. What do you think about when you're laughing and having a good time? And she said, nothing. And I was like, hmm. So what, how about when you're sad? What do you think about, Maddie? And this is a nine-year-old, by the way. She said everything. Think about that. That's my nine-year-old pointing out a, like, that's clear, right? When we're happy, we don't think about nothing. We don't. We're just like, oh, just, we're happy. You know what I mean? I mean, it's funny, but it's true. It's like, you know, yeah, I'm having a good life. I'm living my best life now, you know. But, 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 but when we're sad, we're like, Phew. Oh, and then you were looking at God, and we're looking at people, and we're looking at this, and we're looking at that, and be like, why? But we're thinking, right? We're thinking about it. And then when things happen, we, we uh, it's hard for us to understand why this is happening in the moment. I mean, most of the time, we don't even think about that. Uh, because we're so concerned about the situation and why we're downtrodden that we don't even want to think of anything but a solution. Hey, give me the solution, God. This is what I want. God understands. Right? He knows. He knows why we're hurting. I mean, just think about, like, for me, it's work. It's work. I'm depressed as I'll get out, and I'll tell you why. I work 10 to 6. That's not 10 in the morning to 6 p.m. It's 10 at night to 6 a.m. If you ever, ever worked a night shift, it's terrible to me. I can't sleep. I'm up all night. And then I've got kids. I've got to be nurturing. I've got to be loving. Right? This is terrible. When you don't get sleep, I know, I, I know y'all. Y'all don't get sleep, y'all grouchy. My wife's grouchy she, when she doesn't sleep, right? Jeff's grouchy 
when he doesn't sleep, Brittany knows. And so, you know, that's, that's what it looks like for me. So, so I'm like, God, what, why, why? I don't want to do this. Like, I'm going to have to quit, man. But I know that God has a purpose for it. I know he does. And this sucks. Like, I don't want to admit that, to be honest with you. I just want to say, hey, God, won't you open up a job to where I can work a day shift, right? So I ain't got to be tired as I'll get out. But he has a reason. And he'll reveal it to me. Just like whatever you're going through, he'll reveal it to you over time. I do believe that. And, and, and maybe he won't, though. Let's, let's say, for instance, he doesn't. It doesn't change the fact that he's good and he loves you and that he'll deliver you from that. We can trust God, right? I mean, he, he'll reveal things to us. Um, just like in Daniel, like Daniel 2. I need to turn there, actually, because I thought I read it down, but I didn't. Give me a second to uh, turn to Daniel. Yeah, I know I'm not fast at this, so don't judge me. There it is. It's faster than I thought. As, as Daniel um, is about to get killed by Nebuchadnezzar and, and, and a lot of other people with him, he, uh, he asked, you know, God reveals a dream to him so Nebuchadnezzar can be okay. And um, in the moment, I mean, that'd be pretty scary knowing that there's a death coming and, and you need to find out what this dream is, right? And so I do... I do believe that, that God reveals these things. It says in uh, 20, uh, verse 20, Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of the God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and set up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep. And hidden things, he knows what's in the darkness. They're, they're hiding that thing again. Where's your foot's out? Right? And the light dwells with him. To you, O God, my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and might, and have now made known to me what we asked of you, for you have made known to us the king's matters. Right? So he's in control. He does it all. You do nothing. That's a hard concept for us to understand. It's a hard concept for me to understand. It's really tough. I mean, what are some things that you control? Look at your life, right? What do you control? Now, we would say nothing, right? But let's do something. Let's take, let, let's, let's, let's think about what you manipulate. Um, now, I, I can't answer that question for you. You have to look inside yourself and reflect, Right, and so what do you put, like in the egg basket of the future? What what are you thinking about? What are you trying to control here? Right, uh, whether it's the, the stock market or, or investments and things of that nature. And those things are good, by the way. But but are you trying to control it, or are you leaving it to God? Are you trying to control your spouses, kids? What about if somebody takes your job away? What about your status? Right? These are all things that we hear all the time, right? It's like, man, you're saying the same thing over and over. Well, there's probably a reason for it, right? Because these are things that we try to control. Now, we have jobs. But those jobs aren't promised, right? At any moment, you can go and the job. Never forget that. What if I took a couple of churchy things that you did away by coming here and tying? Let's, let's say I took that away. Would, would, what would people see? Would they see somebody that's in control? Right? Like, like this is what makes me me. I, and I'm controlling this. Right? Think about that. What if, I, what if you took a couple things away from me? Would you look like the world? And what the world does, they're doing the same things, right? So let's take a couple churchy things away and put you right beside a person who doesn't believe in God, who doesn't love God. Would you look the same as them? 
Would your cares be the same? I, again, I can't answer that question for you, only you can. But these are questions that we need to ask ourselves and reflect on. Right? I mean, we salivate, right? When we think of accumulating things, we kind of salivate depending on what our advice is, I think. I know I do. Man, that looks good. I should get that. I want that. But then it hinders me from blessing somebody over here. Now, which way do I go, right? Has God really changed my heart? Do we sacrifice time with family? Do we? To attain things that we don't really need, that we won't? Do we do that? Do we control that? Again, I know you hear this all the time. You're scratching your head. You're bored. I get it. I get bored too. But look, these are questions we have to continually ask ourselves, but we are continually sinful. And we continually want what we want. But I say, let's go after what God wants. We become sovereign. We rule our hearts. We put our self in place of God's holy place. This, this is where he needs to be. You know, and it baffles me how, like, we're not promised tomorrow, how it, yet we want to control everything today. It's, let's look at James, and you can keep where you're at in Ecclesiastes, but James 4, 13 through 15. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. You do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For a mist that appears a little time and then vanishes. Man. It's not very reassuring. Oh, sorry. I didn't mean to do that again. You know, what are, instead of us being sovereign, right, let's let God be sovereign. I mean, because we're evil. We're sinful. We're in, a sinful. we're in a sinful state and a sinful nature. And we need God. Right? I mean, how would we think of others without God? I mean, to just go back a little bit and just think about how, how you used to be without Christ. Right? Think about that. I can remember vividly. I was actually, I met with some guys this weekend, some guys that... Um, um, my best friend JR, he kind of got us together, and I was up there for a day. And I went back, and, and I went back in my mind about how I used to be. And, and I, this, my thought process and, and what I cared about, what I didn't care about, and, and God was not one of those things, right? Um, were we compassionate to others? Are we compassionate to others now? Do we... Uh, did we justify our sinful behavior then? Did we justify it now? I mean, these are all like, these are all hard questions, right? And, and questions we don't want to even really want to um, engage in. So I say, um, um, what do we do? Right? I'm, I'm saying all this stuff. I'm hurting your feelings. I don't know. I'm exposing myself in this, guys. We're in this together. You know, these are all things that I struggle with as well. Now, let me get back to death. <laughs> as if that wasn't a better subject to talk about. If we go to, well, I just lost my page. Man, unreal. And this thing keeps moving down. Y'all don't laugh at me. This is ridiculous. Unreal. <laughs> so, back to death, right? As I'm smiling, sorry. I'm just smiling with this. Go, we're going to look at verse 2. And so I talked about Bill Gates, me, and how we, how we will die, right? Like, it doesn't matter. We're going to die. So, uh, uh, Solomon talks about this, and it hits us right smack in the mouth. It is the same for all since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and the evil, the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. 
As the good one is, so is the sinner. And he who swears is as he who shuns the oath. This is an evil uh, in all that is done under the sun, that the same event happens to all. Also, the hearts um, of the children of man are full of evil and madness is in their hearts while they live and after they go to the dead. Man. But he who is joined with all the living has hope, for a living dog is better than a dead lion. Now, a dog was thought as a, a joke, and a lion is elevated, right? But yet a dog is better than that if he's living, and the lion's dead. For the, for the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing, and they have no reward. Um, for the memory of them is forgotten. Their love and their hate and their envy have all perished. And forever they have no more share in all that is done under the sun. Dang. Right? So it doesn't matter. We're all going to die. It doesn't matter how loving. It doesn't matter how kind you are. It doesn't matter how hateful you are. It doesn't have any favorites. We live in this life and there is no more. Plain and simple. I can't, I mean, I can try to say something else to, to make it more feasible or, or more a light. Feasible is the wrong word. But we're done. In Hebrews 9, 27 through 28, this is what it says. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with the sin, but to save those who eagerly await him. So we'll just, just once. And this is sobering, right? This might take the breath out of you a little bit. I mean, that's, that's hard to read. But shouldn't this death encourage us, right? Because there is going to be life. He is, he's going to come save those. That's what he says. Shouldn't this make us prioritize and realize our ultimate purpose as Christians? You know, everybody's going to be forgotten. I think we forget that. I mean, you know, you have the presidents and, and all these people who, who have been influencing their uh, prospective uh, decades and things of that nature. But essentially, they are forgotten because you don't know who they are. You don't know what they like. You don't know what they do. They don't do anything, right? They are remembered in the sense of, oh, well, this was a significant point in history, but they're still forgotten as people. Um. I think another thing, like, like think about family, right? Think, think about family. Oh, I'm going to miss my family when I die. Right? People say that. I'm going to miss my family. No, you ain't. Nope. Sorry. You ain't. Because there are no more thoughts. You're dead. I know that sounds a little harsh, but it's the truth. I want to think that I would miss my family too. But there's a different family for me out there. When I die, I'm going to be with Christ. That's my family. Now, if my family, who happen to be uh, believers in Christ, then I will be with them, and they will be my family. But here, the people who aren't, nope, not going to care. So, as a result of that, you know, not caring, Solomon goes straight to um, verse uh, 7. He says, man, yo, yo. You only live once, bro. Let's get hype, you know. Let's be joyful. Let's go eat some bread. Have fun with your wife. Uh, be pure. Be fun. Just have fun, right? When you just want to have fun, it's back to what Maddie said. You know, I don't think about nothing. I just want to have fun, right? So it says, go eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved whether you do. God's letting you do it. Just go do it. Let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with your wife with whom you love all the days of your vain life. <laughs> I mean, this dude is lame, bro. Like, if you would want, like, who wants to talk to him? Like, he is so in your face. you like, shut up. And I'm pretty sure people say the same thing about me because I can kind of be in your face, right, like I am right now. But, but. I mean, but he's giving truth, right? He's just being honest. He just, you know, this is what it is. This is whatever your hands find to do, do it with your might. So not only have fun, but whatever you do, do it with your might. Enjoy it. 
For there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you are going. Man. See, I told you I didn't want to do this, but I probably should have picked the, the, the week, the other week that Luke asked me to preach. Because this is, I mean, you know, I'm reading this and it's like, dang, dude. You know, it's rough. But it's real. Man. I mean, think think of what he's saying, like, enjoy yourself. I think I think this is kind of like the American dream, right? Like this is the American dream. Enjoy yourself. Work hard. Enjoy yourself. You deserve it. Go join the army. Or I don't know, just be successful, right? Enjoy. And this is kind of what the American dream embodies. In, in, in some senses of it, it's, it's good, right? But, but we can never let the American dream be our actual dream. Because that dream comes to a halt when we die. Right? It's done. No more American dream when we die. It's all gone. Now, if he wasn't already pessimistic enough, he just keeps it going. Right? Again, uh, so we'll look at uh, 11 and 12 in, in uh, chapter 9. Again, I saw that under the sun the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor the bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to all. For man does not know his time, like fish that are taken in an evil net, and like birds that are caught in a snare. So the children of man are, are snared at an evil time, and when it suddenly falls upon him. Dang, dude. So... Not only, you know, am I going to die, but I don't, I don't know when I'm going to die, and it can happen in an instant. This dude is lame, right? I know, you're, I know you're saying that. So don't think I'm lame. I'm not lame. I'm just telling you what he's saying, okay? I mean, my wife probably thinks I'm lame sometimes because I bring up death, and she's like, I don't want to talk about that. And I'm like, but, but it's real, right? We have to talk about it. Like someday, this house ain't gonna be clean because when I die, it's going downhill. This house is going downhill. I'll just play it. Oh, man. <laughs> Sorry. Um, I lost my train of thought. Anyway, I'm sorry, sweetie. You messed me all up. <laughs> We do not know the time and the place, right? We ain't got a clue. Um, just like the fish, right? They ain't got a clue. It's coming. It's coming. When those fish get swooped up in that net, it's dinner time. They don't know that. They're like, oh, it's not dinner time. Yeah, it's dinner time, brother. You're dead. You're done. Okay? Now, what I want to do in light of all this dead talk, I want to go back to verse 4. Because there's something in verse 4 that I think uh, is important. Verse 4 says, but he who is joined with all the living has hope. Huh. What's that hope? Because I can assure you that everything that I've read up until this point, there's no hope. There's just death. Right? But there is hope. Right? It's the one who died for us. It's the one who was life. John eleven twenty five says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me. Though he die, yet he shall live. That's hope. That's our only hope. Right? We know that. A lot of people don't know that, but we know that. We should know that. And if you don't know that, I pray that God opens your heart to know that. It's Jesus. Now, I know, Luke, you know, we speak of the gospel every week in this church, and that's very reassuring, right? We think that it, it, it kind of comes mundane and, and something that 
Uh, it's not necessary every week, but I do feel like it is necessary every week. My favorite pastor, uh, Paul Washer, if you haven't heard of him, he's pretty uh, rough, right, when he's at the pulpit. He just calls it like it is, kind of like Solomon, but in a, 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 uh, in a, in a gospel light, right? He's, he's really hard, but man, he's good. I actually met him at a conference, and he was very, very kind. But when he's at the pulpit, he ain't kind. So if you ever uh, want to listen to somebody who's not kind, it's him. So go listen to him. <laughs> I don't mean that. I'm just playing. But he, he was having this conversation. So he was going, Paul Washer, he was going to have this conversation. Uh, uh, I'm sorry. He was going to speak at a church. And so the pastor asks him, asks him a question. And he says, he asks him a question. He says, what are you going to speak on? Uh, the, the pastor reassured him that everybody in the church was a believer, okay? He assured him of that. And uh, so Paul Washington said, well, I think I'm going to preach on the gospel. And the pastor said, hey, I just told you that everybody was a Christian. And so Paul Washington says, sir, thank you. That's very kind of you. But everybody needs the gospel, Right? Christians need the gospel. Let's not make a mistake and think we don't need the gospel. Going back to our control in things that we do, right? Let's remember that. We all need the gospel. His work on the cross was essential. We are broken. We are done. We are sinful. We are not in right standing with God. We're desperate. We're in need of a Savior. Matter of fact, we're enemies of God. Right? We are. We're in direct opposition. As believers, we are. But if you're not a believer, you are. Direct opposition. You think, why, why can't you just choose God? This is dumb, right? No, it's not dumb. You can't just choose him. He needs to choose you. We are continuing to do uh, to fail in the eyes uh, of, the, of the God, right? We're continuing to fail in the eyes of God. We need Christ. We are promised a Savior who can save us from this and make us right with God again. That's exciting. It may not be exciting to you, but it's exciting to me. Right? That's the good news of the gospel. Now I'm going to read this, and I'll be almost done. And you can go back to your, um, to your day. But this, I had to read this because this is kind of embodies the good news. This is what gives me chill bumps. When I read this, man, it just, it warms my heart. And I'll read it. It's in Romans 8, 7 through 21. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Which means you're in right standing with God. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. No more death. There's the hope. No more death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, which are us, for sin he condemns sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile towards God. You hear that, guys? It's hostile towards God. 
Ja, das lasst man bei sich. Na nun ja. Sorry. <lacht> Alright. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, who raised Christ Jesus from the dead, will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you live, but, but if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Now, I urge everybody to go back and read this and really see what it's saying. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. That the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Now, guys, again, read that. That is beautiful. And that should give you an idea of how to live and who to live for. He wants to, to wreck your life. Right? He wants to wreck it. He doesn't want you to control it. He wants to control your thoughts. He wants you to subject yourself to his will. I plead to you today for that. Now, what do we do with all this? We bow our allegiance to the Lord God. Right? We submit to his will. That's what we do with this. That's how we apply this message. Continue to think about how you um, can't do it and he can. That you don't need to control your life, but he will. Submit to the Lord Christ. If everybody could please stand.